0: Okay, we're going to be finishing up this morning our series on uh, three relationships to Jesus called Teacher, Master, King, and we're ending off on the middle. And we're going to be looking at our relationship to Jesus as our Master. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we focused on Jesus being our teacher. Jesus is the world's greatest teacher. He's the universe's most authoritative teacher, and he presents himself in the scriptures as a teacher that if we listen to him, um, our life will be established in this life and in a ter- for eternal life. And if we ignore him, uh, our life in this life and in the life to come will be like a tremendous disaster. And so I was encouraging us and calling us to say about ourselves, Jesus is my teacher and I am his student. And then last week when we got together, we focused on Jesus being king. And I was encouraging us to say to Jesus, to believe about Jesus, Jesus, you are my king and I am your loyal subject. And, and we spent a lot of time looking at Jesus' call to radical loyalty to him, even beyond being loyal to moms and dads and wives and brothers and sisters and children, those people in your life that we're actually called to be loyal to and God commands us to. But our commitment to Jesus needs to be so extraordinarily loyal that compared to those relationships, um, we're supposed to like hate them. And you may remember being scandalized sometime during that morning. And today I want to look at um, Jesus' role as Master and our call to be his servants or slaves. And So I want to encourage us and call us, really summon us today to say about ourselves, my identity is that Jesus is my Master and I am his slave. Now, that might be difficult to get there. That's like stage two. You can start with servant, but... um, really, uh, we, we're called to a kind of slavery to the Lord. This isn't the only picture of relating to Jesus. We're also called his brothers. We're also called children of God. But uh, repeatedly in the scriptures, Christians call themselves the loss of Christ or the loss of God. And that word can be either translated servant or slave. And I think in our culture, we tend to move towards servant just because um, the idea of slavery is so... Contentious and painful and volatile and all those things. So, um, you know, if I'm pressing buttons on you today, then I encourage you to pray to the Lord about that. And uh, you can talk to me about it too if he directs you to do that. I want you to think about the best boss you ever had. All right, if you've graduated from school... Sorry, from Sunday school, and you haven't quite had an employer yet, you may just be thinking about your parents. Those bosses that you live with, that sometimes you may feel like you're treated like a servant, but that's not a bad thing. When you think about the best boss you ever had, what did you like about them as a boss? I want you to think about the worst boss you ever had. Maybe that's even easier to think about. They tend to sear themselves on our brain a little bit more deeply than other, other people. The worst boss you ever had, why did you think they were the worst boss? And now this may or may not catch people off guard, but I want you to now think about between your best boss and your worst boss, your attitude towards being told what to do. How did that influence your decision there? I didn't invite anybody to make noises and draw attention to themselves. I'm just saying that. (laughs) All right. Um, I want us to see Jesus as our master. And I want us to say, I'm his servant. And I want us to enter into the joy of obeying Jesus. That's my heart. That we would just say, Jesus, you're my master. I want to obey you. I want to obey what you say. I want to do what you say. Slavery, servanthood, has two aspects to it. The first is belonging, and the second is obeying. Those are the two things that are highlighted by being in relationship to someone, and they're your master, and you're their servant or their slave. And I can already feel like that just using the S word, both of them, is uncomfortable. I remember one time I was at a restaurant with some friends. We were early 20-somethings. It's a great time to be alive. And the, the waiter was doing a great job, and one of the people we were having lunch with said, you know, you're just such a great servant. And it was meant to be a blessing, but you could tell by the waiter's face that he was actually quite insulted. Even though, technically, if he was writing down his job description for tax purposes, he would probably say, like, server or something like that. But to be told, you're a servant, isn't something that we think is a compliment or a great accomplishment. And so to be called to be a slave is also something that rubs against our culture, our pride. I don't know what it is. But my text for this morning is very simple. It's Luke chapter 6, verse 46, and I'm going to be all over scripture, and I I could go almost anywhere. This is, uh, can I just tell you, one of my weaknesses as a pastor is when I bite off more than I can chew in a message. Like, Let's talk about Jesus being the master. It's only in every chapter in the Bible. So I'm, I'm hooped. So pray for me, work with me here. But my, my text is Luke chapter 6, verse 46, where Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And we could switch that. Why do you call me Master, Master, and not do what I tell you? This is the, f- the first ingredient into servanthood is you, you obey. You do what you're told. And Jesus is being followed by all these disciples, all these people who are very interested in him. He's a miracle worker. He can feed you for free daily. Um, he's a bit of a rock star. So there's kind of, um, you, you'll have cool stories to impress your family and friends because you're close to greatness. You know, that's something that people, if you can't be great, the next best thing is to be close to greatness. And so Jesus is, Getting quite a crowd, and he turns to them and says, "Why would you guys call me Lord if you're not planning on doing what I tell you?" Amen. Anybody else feel uncomfortable when you hear those words? And it's true because you know, in my amateur cultural reading. Um, we, we want to be the boss. We want to be on top. We want to be doing well. We want to be the center of attention. We want to be praised. We want to be adored. We want to be loved. And there's something about Jesus and his love for us and his care for us and his devotion to us that can really be used to help us feel like the center of the universe. You know, Jesus, I'm so wonderful because Jesus loves me. And so there's something about Christianity that can really go along with wanting to feel like the most important person in the universe. But then Jesus says stuff like, why aren't you just doing everything I say? And the response can be, well, because it's all about me. Why aren't you entering my prayers more? Why aren't you doing what I say, Jesus? And we can get into this fight with the Lord where it's like, look, I've asked for a lot of stuff, Jesus, and you're not doing it. And Jesus is saying to us, I've asked you for a lot of stuff, and you're not doing it and between the two of us how many have raised from the dead and so i just know there's something about this like it rubs us weirdly to to hear somebody say why don't you do what you're told and that's all through that starts really early on that starts at like 2 or 3 but our culture really works with that um, jesus is the master His expectation for us is to do what we're told. Amen? Now, there are some great benefits to having Jesus for a master. And I want to go to a story from the Old Testament about one of the more famous servants from the Old Testament time. And just paint the picture of what it's like to have a master. Okay? story from Genesis 24. You may remember this. Abraham is getting really old, and he wants a wife for his son, Isaac. But he doesn't want Isaac to marry one of the Canaanites, Canaanite ladies, because the Canaanite ladies, um, their religious proclivities are quite unfaithful. And it's, it, the most important thing for Isaac is that he stays believing in the Lord. And so he's not supposed to intermarry with the Canaanites, he, and Abraham wants to get him a wife back from the, the home country. And so he summons um, his servant. I'm going to pull it over here, and I'll read the first few verses. It's a really long story, so I won't read the whole thing. But he summons one of his servants, and it says this. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that you may, I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said, See to it that you do not take my son back there, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and he shall take a wife from, for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Okay, so here we see masterhood and servanthood. There's Abraham who is like a king in the old times, and he has servants, people who belong to him and are there to do his will. And he summons one of these servants the oldest one or the most respected one and he says to them i have a mission for you and the servant's main response is um what happens if i get into trouble and abraham says well just i'm confident in the lord but if it doesn't work out you're off the hook and what happens though is that abraham gives this servant 10 camel loads full of goods And I'm assuming as well, soldiers and other servants, people didn't just carry goods through the desert in the Old Testament times without a few swords hanging around to intimidate marauders and stuff like that. And Abraham's servant goes and finds um, Rachel. And he prays for a sign that the woman that is for his master's son will be there. And it all happens. Do you remember the filling of the water jugs? Which is really interesting that the sign that the servant asks for from the Lord is that the woman he for Isaac will also be a servant someone who will water all these camels for a stranger. And then he negotiates and Rachel's willing to come back and he comes back home. And this is a great picture of servanthood because it's like what a Christian servanthood is. If we are willing to do God's will, if we accept his charge, he gives us a mission with his authority and loads us down with treasure in order to accomplish his will. This is the picture of Christian servanthood. God comes to us and says, I want you to obey me and I have a mission for you. And we're, we're supposed to respond with, okay, what if things go wrong? Kind of, you know, have that conversation. And as we say yes, and as we swear, we make a covenant with the Lord. Anybody here in a covenant with the Lord? We make a covenant with the Master. I will do your bidding. He gives us treasures to accomplish the goals. It's When you're Obeying the master, it's up to the master to make sure you have everything you need to accomplish your mission. Amen. Like when you are obeying your master, if if the master didn't give you all that you needed, it would be the master's fault that it failed, not the servant. And so, as Christians, we're like that servant. We're, we're just like, okay, I've got this mission to do from the Lord, I've got a word to obey, I've got commands to obey, and Jesus empowers us with all the treasure we need. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got gifts through the Spirit. We've got the Word of God. We've got brothers and sisters in the church. We've got all the treasure we need in order to accomplish the mission that the Master has given us. But it wouldn't work if the servant went away from Abraham and just said, man, look at all this treasure. Abraham won't miss a few gold coins. And you know, there are some truck stops along the way that we can have some parties at. Right? If he forgets his mission along the way and starts using the treasures that, that the master had given him for his own purposes, it would have gone, like, bad. So here's this picture of servanthood from the Old Testament that Jesus is calling us to as Christians. To love our master, and to love his will, and to say yes to his commands, and to expect that he will give us everything we need in order to accomplish the missions that he's given us in this life. Amen? Amen. Well, I said being under authority or, or, or being obedient, doing somebody else's will is one half of being a servant. But the other half of being a servant is belonging. All right, and this is the thing that chaps Westerners because we're so into personal freedom, is that the idea of one person belonging to another person is offensive to us. Most offensive when it would come to the idea of slavery or servanthood, but it also works its way into marriages, and it also works its way into workplaces, and it also works its way into childhood and parenthood and stuff like that. But we're so into, we make such a huge idol out of personal liberty and personal freedom, and there's reasons, you know. There's reasons, and I get it, but... Uh, we can't really. We, it's our job not to let our culture judge the scriptures or judge our relationship with the Lord. And so, in 1 Corinthians 6:19 and 20, you may remember this this passage. There's Paul is writing to his church in Corinth, and some of the guys there have thought that because you're a Christian, it's okay to go and visit the temple prostitutes next door, and it's it's fine because we're spiritual now, and this is just bodies, and it doesn't really matter. And one of the things Paul says to get them to stop doing that is he says, um, he says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. All right. And so if you're a Christian, if you're saved, you're saved because you were bought. You're saved because you were bought by the blood of Jesus. And now that you belong to Jesus, he's the one who has the right to rule your life. Some of you may have seen that movie, 12 Years a Slave, that came out fairly recently. And and yes, many horrible things happened, and that's, it is horrible. But there's this one scene in this movie, if you may remember it, there's this kind of African-American, he's a free man from the North, and he gets kidnapped, and he's going to be taken down south to be sold as a slave in the southern states and before he can get down to the states he needs to go on a slave ship and be taken down river i guess maybe down the mississippi i can't remember what it was and as he's on that slave ship somebody shows up at the boat to demand that his slave get taken off the boat because his slave has been wrongfully captured and he belongs to a master and so he's saying you can't take him he belongs to me and so that guy is allowed off the boat and is taken back home. And with all the whatever wrongdoings are, are happening historically in the states, 150 years ago, whatever it was, I saw that scene. I was like, yes, that's exactly me. I'm that guy who was on that slave ship. And Jesus showed up and said, no, he belongs to me. You can't take him. He's mine. And it's not like Jesus says, you can't take him because you're a bad person, you can't do anything. Jesus shows up and says to the devil, you can't take him because he's mine. Because I bought him. And so what Paul is saying is, because you belong to Jesus, you can't use your hands in just any old way you want to. You can't use your eyes just any old way you want to. You can't use your body just any old way you want to. You are bought. You belong to the master. And now it's your job to use your body in ways that bring the master glory, in ways that are obedient to him. And so this is a very powerful truth. Are you a Christian? You were bought. Whether that scandalizes 21st century culture or not, you belong to Jesus because of his shed blood. And that's the only kind of salvation there is, is becoming a servant and a slave to Jesus because he bought us. Now, that's not the end of the story, and it's a great picture, but it's not the end of the story. We enter into sonship and daughtership. We enter into friendship. There's all kinds of different relationships we have with God, but if, if we're not Christ's servants, we're not anything else. If we aren't bought, we don't belong. And so, I'm calling on us. To work on a mindset of Jesus is my master. I, I want to be his his servant, his obedient servant. Now, what are some of the some some more of the benefits of being a servant of Jesus? Uh, number one, it's a great tool for staying humble. Some of us pray for patience sometime, we just don't want to wait for it. Some of us pray for humility sometimes. We just don't want to have to be humbled along the way. But believing that we are servants of Christ is a great, great tool for staying humble in life, for fighting our pride, for fighting our self-will. Jesus tells this parable about servanthood, and he says this. This is Luke seventeen seven. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterwards you can eat and drink? And does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. So this picture that Jesus is, is picturing, and I just want to ask this question. The, the Jesus that you relate to and that you picture in your head, can you imagine him saying these things? Because he, he did say these things. All right, so we need to constantly be expanding who Jesus really is. And he sees his disciples, and he sees their jockeying for position, he sees their pride, he sees their self-will, he sees their wanting um, a great gigantic blue participant ribbon for everything they do for the Lord. And he says to them instead, Okay guys, imagine you're rich for a second. And you've got this these servants. They belong to you, they have to do whatever you say. And they've been out earning their keep in the fields all day. When they come home, are you like, "Great job. You're wonderful." You know what? You're the best. High five. Why don't you guys go shower off and you got the rest of the day off? He's like, No. What actually happens is that they come home and they say, and the master says, Okay, can you get my dinner ready? And, and then once you've taken care of dinner, and, and actually, I'd like to be waited on this morning because I'm the master and, and you're not, and uh, this evening. And, uh, and when you're done all that, then you can be free because be, I won't have any more need of you. He's saying, That's what you guys would be like to your servants. So take a lesson. If all you're doing is your duty as a Christian, then why get proud? If when you're reaching out to people, all you're doing is what I commanded, then why get proud? If you're praying, and all you're doing is what I commanded, why get proud? If you're giving, even really generously, and all you're doing is what your master's called you to do, why get proud? And so as we adopt a servant attitude of the Lord, we actually get set free from all those rigmaroles of the soul where it's like, oh, I'm wonderful, I'm great because of all the things I've done, and then I'm horrible and I'm bad because of all my failures. We just say, no, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. You know, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm just doing what Jesus said. There's so much freedom in just living to do what Jesus has said, living to follow his lead. But there's also a lot of power. There's also a lot of power. And, and I just, I, don't, I want us to get this. There is power in simple obedience to Jesus. Amen. There is, there, is, there is so much untapped power for the church in simple obedience to the commands of the Master. Um, I want to take us back to the Old Testament again. For a demonstration of this, you may remember the story of Naaman from 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, And the story of Naaman, you may never thought of this before, but it's a story about servants more than anything else. And Naaman is this super successful Syrian general. And he has regularly made raids into Israel and come back with servants. And he has this one Israelite servant girl. And Naaman's issue is that for all of his successes, he has a skin disease. He's got some kind of leprosy. I don't know if it's the finger fall-off kind or if it's just some sort of skin issue. It's kind of a catch-all phrase. And he has this skin issue. And this servant girl says to, because she's actually serving Naaman's wife, she says, if only your husband would go to Israel, to the prophets there, he would get healed. Okay, so I just want you to picture that. Imagine you're a young person, a young woman, you've been captured by a foreign army, taken away from your home to another country, and are now serving the probably not always kind wife of a major general. Would you ever say to that woman, you know what, your husband's got some issues, if he would just go and talk to Pastor Rob, he could pray for him and heal him. It's just, I just want you to think of the amazing heart of this young woman in scripture. Having all this bad stuff happen to her and she, her, her thought is, you know, the God of Israel can do good to this guy. And so he believes her. And so he goes to Israel and first he goes to the king because he thinks like a pagan. He thinks that the kings are the most important people going on and they're not. It's the prophets who are ruling over Israel during this time. And he says, okay, heal me. And the king panics because he doesn't believe God can do anything. And Elisha sends a messenger to the king saying, send Naaman here. And Naaman comes with all of his pomp and his war chariot and all of his servants and all of his gold and all of his robes and all of his riches and all of his power. And he comes to Elisha's house and Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He sends a messenger. He sends a servant to Naaman and he says, go tell Naaman to go take seven baths in the Jordan. And Naaman hears this, and he freaks out. Okay? Do you guys remember this story? Elisha doesn't even come out. It's just the, the shek bangle, it's just the water boy, on his way to go get some more coffee pods for Elisha's egg. And, and he's like, on your way out, go tell that, that fancy guy with the, the pimples to go and take seven baths in the Jordan. And Naaman hears this, and his pride is so offended. And he starts saying, Oh, he said, I expected him to come out and wave his hands and do a little dance and chant and then tell me to do something, and then I'd be healed. And then he starts saying, Aren't the rivers back in Syria or Syria, wherever he's from, aren't those rivers better than the Jordan? And he's, he's, he flies into a rage. Okay, why does he fly into a rage? Because he doesn't have a concept of simple obedience. All right? He has a concept of I'll obey when it's a king asking me. I'll obey when there's a fancy show. I'll obey when there's a big promise of me cutting off a dragon's head or cutting off a lion's head and walking around with some big trophy. That's when I'll do it because there's something in it that'll make me feel awesome. But when Elisha won't even say hi to me, just says, go take seven baths in some muddy river. And what happens is that as Naaman's storming off and getting ready to leave his who? His servants come to him and say, look, look, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't don't run away. Don't leave. If he had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Why don't you just simply obey? And why are they the ones doing that? Because they're servants and they understand the concept of just doing what you're told. Naaman doesn't have room for that because he's he's proud and he's he's a winner. And so what happens? Naaman gets sense talked into him, and he goes and bathes seven times, and the miracle happens. And and that story, the, the whole story. What's the main point of the story? This is when God speaks, do what you're told. There's power in simple obedience. And Naaman almost lost his miracle because he wouldn't just simply obey. He judged the command and he judged how it came and he judged who he was compared to who they were and he, he just wouldn't do it. And I think sometimes, guys, maybe, maybe this isn't you. Don't you think we can be kind of Naamans sometimes? We judge the commands, we judge how it comes, we judge who it comes through, and we just were like, this is not how I want to obey. I only want to obey when I'm told to go bathe once. I would bathe with one time. But persevering obedience? No, no, no. And is this going to be turned into a reality TV show? Because I need more hits on my blog. The issue for Naaman was, can you just simply obey? Without pomp, without promise, without pride. Just simply, simply obey. And because he did, he got healed. Amen? Amen. So, so one thing I'm saying is simple obedience helps us win the fight against pride. Number two, I'm saying simple obedience actually welcomes the power of God into our lives. Jesus, I'm just simply going to obey. I'm just going to simply obey. Okay, um, some of the, the, the most simple commands of Scripture from the Lord are these ones. Number one, love other Christians. Number two, forgive everybody. And between those two, most of us are offended, and many of us are not experienced the freedom of the power of God. It's really, it's really tough. It's really, it's really tough. Uh, it's, Jesus is teaching to Mark on prayer It's so amazing. He says, "You know, if when you stand praying, just." Believe that you've, whatever you're asking for, ask in faith and believe that you've already received it. Yay! And then he says, while you're standing there, if you have any problems with anybody, forgive, so that your Father can forgive you. Oh. And God puts those things together because he's like, you actually need to forgive in order for us to, to do this. I'm forgiving you everything. You've got to forgive everybody else everything. And when that happens, there's going to be power. I'll answer your prayers very powerfully. So faithfully, in fact, that you can say, start saying thank you right now. Go ahead, say thank you, say thank you right now. Just, I'm just, I'm just. You don't have to. But. That's Jesus teaching. But what what happens is we stumble over the simple obedience to just forgiving. I just have to forgive. I have to forgive everybody, everything. That's what Jesus said. Everybody, everything. Well, not everybody, everything. That's what we want somebody to say. Just the simple obedience. Love your brothers and sisters. Forgive everybody everything. These are those simple commands from Jesus that we stumble over and we miss the power of God. Amen? Amen. Good, I'm doing great for time today. So I want to end just by reading Ephesians chapter 6 and by giving us an invitation to find ways to have a servant attitude. Okay? Um, in your home, in your workplace, at the church. Find areas to serve and find ways to have a servant attitude. Because um, Jesus made servanthood a tremendous honor. Jesus made servanthood a tremendous honor. So listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, to the slaves. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly master, masters, sorry, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this you will receive back from the Lord whether he is a slave or free. Now, I just want you to come into that scene there for a second, okay? Imagine, um, we can do it like this. Let's not go into that scene. Let's bring that scene over here. Imagine a a family comes into Calvary Chapel, and they're really big. And that's not new for us. It seems like we pretty much just attract couples with seven kids or more. And that's fine through poor children's ministry, but other than that, that's fine. It's wonderful. We love you guys. Um, but there's a, there's a really big family. And, and as you get to know them, you find out that two of the people in the family, a bit younger, maybe early teens, aren't family members by blood. They're actually slaves. Uh, they were bought and paid for, and they're part of the family, and it's their job to work. What do you think right away? You think you can't be a Christian and have slaves. You need to let these people go right away. Isn't that what you think? How can you be a Christian and have slaves? And then you start telling those, those young people, you will run away to my house. I'll help you out. <laughs> and though I'm not, I don't think scriptures think slavery is wonderful, because of Jesus, it changes everything. And so that for these slaves, who probably many of them would have unkind masters, he says, actually, the most important thing in your life is not getting free. The most important thing in your life is being like Jesus in your situation. And knowing Jesus in your situation. And serving Jesus in your situation. I don't even know if there's anywhere in Scripture that has the words Christ and Lord and God more more packed together than here. Serve your earthly masters because you're serving Christ. And it's not them you're working for, it's Christ. And by the way, Christ is watching and he's going to give you reward because God rewards people and it's all about Jesus. And so I just, I just want us to hear, like, this, these were commands to servants. It's about Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. And Paul is, what he's doing is he's taking this role of servanthood and he's saying, this role for a human being to do is so close to Christ. Who is the greatest servant. Who gave up his godness to come down to earth to take on the form of a servant. He is the greatest servant. This is this is why. why. Why can't we trust Jesus? Why is it okay for him to be our master? Why would we ever give our lives to Jesus to be our master? Because he is the best servant ever. He is the greatest servant ever. Nobody served like Jesus served. So ridiculously humble. So patient and kind and willing to pay any price to accomplish the will of his Father. He's the best servant ever, and through the gospel and through faith in him, he actually does become our servant too. He serves us every day by answering our prayers and caring for us and walking with us and giving us things we need and helping us out. He's so humble. But I just I just want us to see like the scriptures could have said, Slaves, do everything you can to get free. And that's it. It does say that. If you can get your freedom, go for it. It says if you can't get your freedom, don't let it bother you. Serve the Lord. Because being a servant is way more important than personal freedom for Christians. Serving Christ is way more important than getting what we want or being able to do what we want for Christians. And I, we, just, we need to see this. This is a, a theme in the Scripture. It's an ingredient in the Word of God that's easy to miss. Amen. So as we close, I just want to ask a couple of questions. In what roles in life are you called to be a servant? What roles in life are you called to rejoice in obedience? By the look on some of your faces, it looks like you're like, I don't think any. I'm just teasing. Do you you have a boss? Or a leader? That it's time to just practice simple obedience for the namesake of Jesus? Are you in a group? Do you have a leader in community groups where it's time to just be like, I'm going to serve this person. I'm going to do everything I can to help them be successful for the name of Jesus. Because he's the master. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for Jesus, Father, our, our great Lord, who humbled himself in servanthood to the point of dying on the cross to fulfill your will. And Father, who calls us to simple obedience to his word and simple obedience to his leadings in life who calls us like him to take on the form of a servant and being willing to serve to humbly serve to love to serve to fellowship with Jesus in serving father I pray that you'd help us where we've been complaining, because it rubs against our pride. Father, would you give us grace, fill us with Jesus, forgive us, and help us have the victory through Christ. Amen.